everybody's awake. I know in the summer, 9.15 seems awfully early, so kind of hard to, to wake up. I've had plenty of coffee, though, so I should be good. Um, hopefully, you've had your coffee, too. Um, today, though, we're going to talk about waking up. Paul tells us to wake up in Romans 13, 11 through 14, one of our readings for today. And it's the kind of waking up that coffee just doesn't get the job done. Um, if you're like me, uh, you're probably not fully awake. And so as we turn now to see what Paul has for us to dive in, uh, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for Paul and his faithfulness to us. I pray that you help me to get out of the way, that your word might come through clearly, that we can hear it clearly and see more clearly and walk more in your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a camp out that Susie and I took, first year of marriage. We went with another church group. It wasn't our church, but we had some friends in this church group to Enchanted Rock. This was an open air camp out. I don't know if anybody's ever done open air camp out. Have you done that before? No? Okay. Well, if you've never done it before, don't. Um, no, I don't know. You might be more adventurous than I am, but it was, it was tough, and it was particularly tough because we drove there, we got there right about dusk, right as the sun was going down, and we couldn't really see where we were going, but everybody else was already there. We were just kind of late showing up. I can't remember. Maybe Susie had to work, and so we get there, and like I said, it's dusk, and we're going to the campsite, and they're like, okay, be careful. Watch here. You know, they're, they're guiding us with flashlights. We can't really see where we're going, and they say, okay, put down your sleeping bags here, and they Turns out they were, I don't know, 30, 40, just lined up in a row, just in the middle of the ground. And, you know, everybody's around the campfire. We had some fun. When we went to bed, things turned pretty scary. Um, we started hearing things rustling in, in the near, I guess, in, in, very close to us. We couldn't tell how far it was. We thought maybe it was snakes. We thought maybe it's a warthog. What is this in the night? We could not see. And I can't tell you how scared I was. I was down, hunkered down in the bottom of my sleeping bag, just praying that no snakes would get in there or anything else, all night long. Uh, so when we wake up in the morning, uh, actually, I shouldn't say when we wake up, I probably get about 45 minutes of sleep. But when the dawn came and we could see everything, everything was much clearer and felt safer. And that's what Paul is saying here, that when the sunlight comes, when the dawn comes, before you even see the sun, there's light. And we can see everything much more clearly than we can in the night. What is the sun that he's talking about? He's talking about the day when Jesus returns, when heaven comes to earth in its fullness and sin and death and chaos and fear and everything that goes with that is gone. That's the day that he's coming. When he talks about in, uh, there in verse 11, he says, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation, the day is coming, the day of the Lord's return. And what he's saying is, just like with the sunrise, even before you see that sun, there's light. It's the dawning light of heaven that Paul is talking about that enables us to see clearly. And we can't see clearly in the night, but we can in, in light of, of heaven. And it's this light that illuminates everything for us. 
So what Paul is telling us is to have this heavenly perspective, the perspective of heaven, heaven's light shining on our lives, on our world, on everything that we see, that we might live by that. And it's this heavenly perspective that changes everything. One example that immediately came to mind, Paul throughout his writings describes us as saints. He describes you and me as saints. To me, that's very encouraging. I'm not a saint. I'm not holy. That's what a saint is. It means holy ones. He sees us the way we will be in heaven when God is done working in our lives. And he calls us that. That's the perspective. That's the lens that Paul sees us with because that's the perspective of heaven. When we see that, it's very freeing. It's very encouraging. Paul wants us to see ourselves like that and to see one another like that. In fact, he wants us to see all of creation in that heavenly perspective. This dawning light from heaven enables us to understand history. We know where history is going. We know what it's going to look like. Heaven comes to earth. Uh, Everything is perfect. Sin and death and chaos are gone. This heavenly light also exposes the inferior old way of life that you and I and everyone under the sun uh, or walking in the night, um, we're all familiar with. What is this inferior way of life? What is it that he, that we can see more clearly in the light of heaven? Well, it's a way of life that's conceived by darkened minds, by people walking in darkness. Um, I would say this is what people do when they have nothing better to live for than their own flesh their own bodies. There's nothing, there's no greater cause to live for. What's our default? We just default to gratifying our own flesh. And what I want to suggest is this only makes sense, living for the flesh only makes sense when we can't see with heaven's light. In other words, when we see with heaven's light, living for the flesh no longer makes any sense at all. So Paul, it's going back to chapter 1, And in chapter 12, when he talks about darkened minds versus enlightened minds, he's picking up on that same theme here. The dawning light from heaven has come, and things look different. And so Paul tells us to wake up. It's dawn. It's the day is almost here. Wake up. Um, Things look very different. And so what we need to do now is look and see if we can understand a little bit more about what Paul means. How many people have seen The Matrix, the movie The Matrix? Okay, so I don't want to have any spoilers here, uh, but by the way, it's been out for about 16 years, so, um, so if I'm spoiling it for you, well, I'm sorry. But what Paul is saying here to wake up reminds me of The Matrix. For those who haven't seen it, the one or two people in here who haven't seen it, just kidding. Um, this movie starts out with, it looks like today, a guy named Neo. He's just an everyday programmer. And he is attuned that something's not right. There's this matrix, they call it the matrix, it's kind of like the internet. And he he has this sense that people are trying to control. Um, It's the government or somebody else, and he wants to get at the truth. Well, so it's it's a fantastic movie, one of my favorite movies. And so there's this scene where he comes to this character called Morpheus who understands the truth a little bit better than Neo does, a lot better. And he asks him, um, do you want to know what the matrix is? 
And he proceeds to explain it to Neo. He says, it's everywhere you look. You feel it everywhere you go, no matter what you're doing. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And Neo asks, what truth? Morpheus says that you're a slave. Like everyone else, you're born into bondage, born into prison. You cannot smell or taste or touch. It's a prison for your mind, prison for your mind. And he says, unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. I have to show you. And then he gives him a choice. He says, you can take this blue pill. And I don't know why they use the pills, but, you know, it's, I don't know how that works. But, you know, we'll go with it. Take this blue pill, and you'll go back to sleep, and you wake up in your own bed, and you can believe whatever you want to. Or you can take this red pill. And if you take this red pill, I'll show you the truth. And, of course, Neo chooses the red pill. Um, and it turns out that everything, it is a prison for the mind. Neo, just like every other human being, is sitting in a pod, basically a battery for these sentient machines. It turns out that it's way in the future. We created machines. There's this big war. And now all human beings are enslaved. They're trapped in a pod. And what the matrix is, it's a, a program. It's a, it's a simulation of reality that makes us think that we're alive and walking around and doing things. But in reality, we're just hunched over in these pods. Barely, I mean, we're kept unconscious, but our minds are on. And so without going more into the matrix, if you haven't seen it, go see it. I'm probably going to watch it again sometime this week. But why is this, why is this helpful? It's this idea that our minds are not free. Our minds are imprisoned. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. Look here again at verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. You're going to wake up from sleep. For salvation, the day of the Lord's coming, is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So, that's what I want to focus on, when we first believe. He's talking to the Roman Christians, and he's saying, even though you first placed your faith in Christ, you're still asleep. Did you think that was possible? That you could place your faith in Christ and still be walking around like a zombie, still have an imprisoned mind? That's what Paul is saying here. Morpheus goes throughout the movie telling Neo, free your mind, free your mind. And he shows him how to do that, how to break out of this bondage of the matrix. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, wake up. Your minds are darkened. You're continuing to live according to the darkened way of life. Even though you've placed your faith in Christ, your mind is still darkened. Wake up. Quit living like it's nighttime. Quit living a life according to the lie, just like the matrix told a lie. We live according to a lie. What's the lie? Well, the lie is that life according to the flesh is satisfying and makes us happy. That's it. That's the lie. It comes in lots of different forms, lots of shapes and sizes, but life according to the flesh is satisfying and makes us happy. So we have to ask ourselves, are we continuing to live a lie or are we living according to the heavenly perspective? This heavenly light that shines and shows us how inferior that way of life is. Which is it? It's probably a mixture. If you're like me, it's a mixture. 
But what we have to do is we have to look at how we spend our time and determine, are we awake, are we asleep? How do you spend your time? If it's pretty much the same as those without Christ, you're probably asleep. That's what I think Paul is saying. And so we must constantly seek the heavenly light, the heavenly perspective. Just because the daylight is here, just because we can see, doesn't mean that we do see. We have to actively seek it. It reminds me of, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this video on the internet. When cell phones were first out, these were a lot more common where people would walk with their cell phones and they'd bump into a wall or you know, whatever it might be. There's this one that I remember, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't laugh at it so hard, but there's this woman who's walking in the mall, walking in the mall, and there's this pool of water with a fountain there and you know, a little boundary around the pool that's about maybe a foot tall. And she just walks, trips into the fountain and just gets all wet. And so even though it's fully daylight, you know, perfectly bright out there, no one else has fallen into that, but she's distracted. She's distracted by her cell phone. Are we distracted by the flesh? Are we distracted by the old way of life? Um, instead of turning our minds to actively seek heaven's light. So we're supposed to wake up. That's the first thing that Paul tells us. We're supposed to wake up because the dawn is here. I think he also tells us to toughen up. And I love this shirt right here that you've got on. It says, tough as nails. Tough as nails. I couldn't think of a better way to put this next point that we're going to talk about. So far in this sermon in chapter 12, we've seen Paul talk about some pretty tough things to do. He talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we're supposed to sacrifice our own lives for other people. He tells us to bless those who persecute us, to love our enemies, repaying evil with good, to leave judgment and vengeance to God rather than doing it ourselves, to submit to flawed governments. Those are tough things to do. And I think what Paul is saying here is that Sure, they're tough, but with a heavenly perspective, they make all the sense in the world. I think when we take on this heavenly perspective, when we see things today the way that God does from heaven, the way that the heavenly light allows us to see, we're willing to endure hardship for the sake of others. We're willing to endure that hardship, hardship to do the hard things for the sake of others. We're willing to strive for the greater cause. We're motivated to do it instead of for temporary comfort or pleasure or financial gain, security, other distractions. It's, I know it's hard to say it that way, but you're painting it black and white. I think that's what Paul is saying. And that's what Jesus did, right? He was tough as nails, literally. He was nailed to a cross. He was willing to sacrifice his own well-being for the sake of you and me. Of course, he's our model, right? We all know that. All the apostles. Think of all the martyrs who have died since the time of Christ. Those are people who were awake. They got it. They were tough as nails. So what I want to suggest is we probably need to toughen up a little bit. And I'm talking to myself as much as anyone else in this room. When we have this eternal perspective, this heavenly perspective, we're enabled and encouraged to do the hard things. What's this heavenly perspective? Right? We already talked about how God sees us as saints, right? as holy for what we will be. We know that our eternal destiny is sealed. If we're in Christ, we know 
when our life is over, we will go to a better place and eventually come to the perfect heavenly heaven on earth. We know that creation is going to be perfected. We know that we'll live in peace and security and life overflowing. We know those things. When we have that perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, when we have that perspective, we're enabled to endure a little discomfort, a little pain, a little suffering, maybe a lot of it. That's what it means to wake up. And it helps us to toughen up. I think Americans, by and large, are a little soft, at least mentally. Um, we come to expect comfort. It's so easy to achieve here. We come to expect it, to demand it. We seek it. We plan for it. That's what we've been trained to do, take refuge from the world for ourselves and our families. But we don't have to look very far to see suffering in the world. And what we're called to do is to go there. We need to resolve to have tough minds, resolve to engage a hurting world. And we do that when we wake up, when we actively seek heaven's light. So if we're supposed to wake up and we're supposed to toughen up, the last point is that we're supposed to gear up. Have you ever been, I, I looked in this, I thought it was military. I don't know that it's, I don't think that it is. But like on a hiking trip or something like that, when it's gear up, that means gather your stuff, let's go. Get all the equipment you need to go out and do what, the work for the day. And that's what Paul is saying in the last part uh, of, of our verses today. Um, when he says to put on the armor of God, and he says to put on Christ. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness. This was a common metaphor in his day to talk about a change of clothes. You take off this set of clothes, this way of life, and you put on this set of clothes. It's for changed, uh, changed ethics, a changed way of life. Paul is using that here. Take off the works of darkness. Take off the old way of life. Take off the way of life that is built on the lie and instead put on new clothes. And what are these clothes? It's the armor of God and it's Christ himself. We've got to have the right gear. And it reminds me of the many, or I should say, too many times, although they're not that many, times that I did our own plumbing at home. Those of you who have ever tried to do this, you try and change a sink out or you fix a broken pipe or anything like that, you find out pretty quickly if you don't have the right tools, you're not getting the job done. Um, I remember just playing with the wrenches I had, trying to loosen up this sink, and I went to Home Depot and I said, I can't get this, what am I doing wrong? He said, oh, you need this wrench right here. Okay, go back. And then I, something else wrong, go back to Home Depot. All right, here's my problem. Oh, yeah, you need this. Well, why didn't you tell me that before, right? But the point is, you can't be an effective plumber without the right gear. And that's what Paul is saying here, too. Wake up, toughen up, and put the right gear on. And that gear is the armor of God and Christ himself. We're not going to look at these passages, but if you're taking notes, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. It's a very parallel passage to our passage today. And Paul talks about a little bit more about the armor of God. 
It's faith and hope and love. These are virtues, right? Virtues of Christ. In Ephesians 6, in 10 through 20, Paul talks again about the armor of God. You can tell this is important to him. And he talks about truth and righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. These are the virtues. These are the tools. This is the equipment. This is the gear that we're supposed to put on. We take off the old clothes and we put on the armor of God. It's a changed way of life. And by the way, these are work clothes. The old clothes, that's just reveling in the flesh. We're not going to dwell on what he talks about here. Some pretty bad stuff that the, the Greeks did at the time, that the Romans, that was the old way of life that they were saved out of. But gratifying the flesh, take those clothes off and put on work clothes and get to work. That's what Paul is telling us here. That's what he's urging us to do. So you have to get the right gear. It's Christ himself. It's his, everything that he did, his deeds of love, um, all the virtues that he had. Those are our work clothes. That's the gear that we need. And the other thing in the background here is the idea that when you put on clothes, it's like playing a part in a play or in a movie. You got to wear the right clothes to play that character and act that out. And even though you and I are not holy as Christ is, we're on our way, right? Remember, we're on our way. But even though we're not holy like him, we have his clothes. We have his spirit. We have Christ himself to walk with us. We have his word. All of those things he will equip us with if we will just go. The Roman Christians were asleep on the job, right? They had placed their faith in Christ and they were asleep on the job. Are we? I think a major challenge for American Christianity is the American dream. You've heard me talk about this before. It makes us sleepy, or rather, it's what we do when we are asleep. Those are the old clothes. It's what we fall into. It's what our culture tells us. It's easy to do. To spend time pursuing that is a distraction. It's like looking at our cell phones will trip and fall into the water. That is what's in our background culture that we have to wake up from. And if you're like me, you spend way too much time gratifying the flesh and planning to have in the future the ability to gratify the flesh, to gratify the flesh some more. Too many F's in that sentence. But the heavenly light shines on those plans, on that old worldly way of life, and on those clothes. And it exposes them. It exposes all of that as a fraud and a lie. There's a better way to live. It's one that brings more life to you and to me into a hurting world. So Paul tells us to wake up. The day of heaven is near. Its light enables us to see clearly. And we are to toughen up, toughen our minds up, resolve to do the hard things that Paul has called us to do, to endure hardship for the sake of that eternal plan of making heaven a reality on the earth today with God's help. And then we have to gear up, trade our old clothes for our work clothes. It's the armor of God and Christ himself. Will you pray with me? 
God, we know these are challenging words from Paul. And these are difficult things for us to do. We pray that you help us to see clearly that we would do the things that we need to do to gain the heavenly perspective, that it's available to us. We already know it in part. Let us not be distracted by the things of this world, but instead focus our minds on you and your word that we might gain the heavenly perspective. And then give us the toughness of mind, the resolve to go and encounter a dying world and to bring your love and peace to that world. And God, as we go, help us to put off the old clothes and put on the new that we might be prepared to walk in your ways and to serve and imitate Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.